Well, guys, get your Bibles out and go to Matthew 17. And my sermon today is called The Cure for Unbelief. All right, listen to me. We're going to talk a little bit about what I started a while ago saying. Everybody in here, we have all had times in our life where we were praying about something and we just didn't believe that was going to happen. Okay, thank you for, I will come over here and preach. Have y'all ever just kind of like, that ain't happening. That is just not gonna. For whatever reason, we've allowed ourselves to get into unbelief. And and as long as you're on the planet, you're going to deal with unbelief. You're going to deal with fear. You're going to deal with it. That doesn't mean you have to live in it, but there is a cure for it. There is a way to deal with unbelief and to get over it and get your prayers answered. We were just talking about Nancy just a minute ago and talking about how there are things in our life, and I'm going to tell you about myself. I've had many, many things happen where I was healed within a day or two. Thank God for that. I've been in services where people laid hands on me and I recovered quickly. I've also had things I prayed for and they didn't happen very quickly. And at first, when those happen, you start going, well, where is God? Then you start condemning yourself, thinking that maybe there's something wrong with you. And there sort of is, and we'll show, I'll show you what that is in a minute. But there is a way out of this. There is a way for you to have a better life. All right. In, in the book of Matthew, verse 17, let me go over here and find it. I like reading out of my Bible. I love my Bible. I don't have my Bible on a phone. I do not want a battery to determine when I read my Bible. And I cannot mark up my phone and write notes in my phone. My phone is impersonal, but my Bible is not. Amen. Boy, I'm preaching good. Okay. Matthew 17, starting with verse 14. And when they had come to the, when they had come to the multitude, a man came and knelt down and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic and he suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long do I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not get that devil out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. I want to say something to you. Listen to me very carefully. In the world today, the predominant doctrine in America is that God is controlling everything. That is not true. It is the worst heresy in the world and most churches preach it. He has all, has everything in control. If he does, he has it in a mess. Now, you, you don't hear too many people say that. They also will not take the blame. Jesus placed the blame where the blame was. Why could we not get that devil out? He said, because of your unbelief. That's pretty strong. 
In other words, you will never fix a problem if you don't know what the problem is. If you think the problem is God, you're going to spend all your life trying to talk God into the notion of doing something. But if you think the problem's you, then now you can fix you. You can say, I know what the problem is, it's me. Well, now I'm going to fix it. Does that make sense? Now, see, this is massive in the body of Christ today. And you've got people saying, well, you know, all things work together for the good. No, they don't. But, Pastor, that's a scripture. No, it is not. It's a half a scripture. You can't quote a half a scripture. Let me explain something to y'all. If I look at the kids and say, if you do your homework and clean your room, I'm going to take you out to dinner tonight. Did I tell them that I was taking them to dinner tonight? No. I said, if you do your homework and clean your room, I'm taking you to dinner tonight. Don't come in here and say, you said you'd take us dinner. I, I did not say that. I said, if you clean your room and do your homework, I'll take you to dinner tonight. Now, let's go check your room. You can't take half truths and bring, put them in a promise box and start preaching them from the pulpits of America and think that you're helping people. You're not helping anybody. He said that if you prayed in the Holy Ghost, in tongues, the, pray the plan of God out, then you know, because you prayed in the Spirit, that everything you're praying about is going to work for your good. If you're not praying about it, it ain't working for your good. So he's only talking to, about, to people who pray in the Spirit. You, but yet that's a massive doctrine today. Are you all out there? Did you go home? So Jesus said something to his disciples and says, it's your fault. Well, we don't want to hear that. That'll thin a church down. Go with me real quick to Mark 6. Go to Mark 6, and I'm going to start with verse 1. Don't worry, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to bury you for a minute, but I'll get you out. We're going to point the finger at you, but we'll get you out. You won't leave you here. Mark 6, 1, and he went out from his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished and said, where did this man get these things? Where did this wisdom come from, all these mighty works? They heard about the works, didn't they? Isn't he the carpenter? No. Is he a carpenter? No. They don't know who he is. The son of Mary, the brother of James, Josie, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except his own country and his own relatives, his own house. And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people. It says in the Greek people with minor ailments and healed them. And he marveled at their what? Now let me ask you a question. Is he the son of God? Is he anointed? Why could he? Then you wait a minute. Then this whole thing, he was healed to prove he was the son of God. That's not true. That's a major doctrine in churches. Jesus did what he did because he is the son of God. Listen, unbelief stopped Jesus in his tracks. It stops him now. So when he stopped, you and I have to go back and go, is there unbelief in my life that's stopping Jesus from working? There may be. Now, don't get in condemnation We've all been there. Every one of us have had days when we're like, I don't know what to do and I don't believe this. Don't shout me down. Because the Bible is not mental assent. Let me make a statement to y'all. 
We're going to get into the word in a minute. Mentally assenting to the Bible does not produce faith. Faith is of your heart. There's a lot of scriptures Christians know here, and they don't know them here. And therein, therein lies the difference in victory and defeat. All right, so let's start talking about how to overcome this. Go to John chapter 8 now. This is going to be your scripture. You're going to hang your hat on this, and you're going to get out of every mess you've ever got yourself into with this scripture. Ready for some victory? All right, let's start reading with uh, verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know I'm He, and that I can do nothing by myself, but my Father taught me I speak these things. And he, and he who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. And He spoke these words, many believed in him. So he's got a crowd of people that he's been preaching to, and it says many of the people believe that he is who he says he is. That's a picture of the modern day church. That's a picture. Most of the people sitting in this room right now, there might be one or two people in here not born again. I'm looking around, I don't see anybody. But I'm going to say that that is the crowd that's sitting here in this church. We believe in Jesus. We believe he died on the cross. We believe he rose from the dead. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Am I right? Yes. All right, now let's read the rest of this. And Jesus said to the Jews that believed in him. He's not talking to unbelievers now. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the ones who just said we believe you're who you are. He's talking to you. If you abide in my word, are you my disciples indeed? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Every area of your life right now that you are in bondage somewhere, all of us have little things we deal with. No, I'm not condemning anybody. Don't ever get, listen, I've been, I'm the pastor of this church. I still have things I deal with. Everybody in here does. You've got, whenever you're dealing with something and you don't know what to do, you have an information problem. You have something in your head that's wrong. You're believing something that's untrue and you need for God to show you what is the truth and then you need to know that truth and when you do, you will get free. Let's, let's prove it. How many of y'all remember the day you heard the gospel and you walked forward and you got born again? Someone gave you truth. You walked up in the front and said, I never knew. I'm going to tell you the day, the day I heard he loved me, the day I heard that he died, the day. I may have heard it before, but I didn't hear it. I may, someone may have said it, but I didn't hear it. I went to church, but I didn't hear it. But I remember November the 16th, 1975, I heard the gospel. I heard he died for me. I heard about Rahab the scarlet and the harlot and the scarlet thread. I heard about the blood. I heard that he would forgive me. I heard that he would wash my sins away. I heard he would make me a new creation. I heard about Jesus and I went forward. I prayed. I heard. I got some truth. I acted on it. And that day, I got free from sin. 
Then my mother gave me a book on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believed it was only for special people and I wasn't special. I prayed about it and prayed about it and nothing happened. So I was convinced it wasn't for me. It was for someone else. But, but I began to read a book by Kenneth E. Hagin, and he began to explain that the, it was for everyone. So I got some truth. I went, oh, hold on a minute. It is for special people, but everybody's special, so it's for me. Then I found out about faith in God. The February of 1976, I walked up in front of a church, and Fred Kelly and the guys, and I said, I came up, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And he said, we'll lay our hands on you. And I says, and I will get it. Because I had been in the Bible in Acts 2, 4, and I had been in Acts 2. I just been in Acts 2, 38. This gift is for you and your children, and many as the Lord our God will call. And as I began to study that and I learned it, I learned some truth. I walked up in February, got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, said, Abba, daddy, 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 Abba, bubba, tunda, da, ba, da. Got drunk, went home all the way home, drunk as a coot and legally, legally drunk. And I and had never been the same ever again. And then I learned about the fact that Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law, being made a curse for me, and I don't have to be poor no more. And, and, and I tried to get Brianna to show this picture this morning of me. If you have that, if you have that, just pop it on the screen if you don't. That's, that's there, there, there he is. Now, let me show you something. You see that shirt? That's the only shirt I own. You see those britches, those Cherokee jeans? They're dirty. That's not dirt, that's stain. I worked out in the garden all day. That's the only pair of jeans I own. Everything you see in this picture, including Ashley and Chase Big Wheel, I could take everything I owned and put it in the, in the trunk of my car and drive off with it. I was supernaturally broke, but I was born again. There's a little cross around my neck. This is the Christmas right after I got born again. I was dumb as a rock, but I was born again. And I found out I don't have to be poor no more. And I got news for you. I got more than one pair of jeans now. I got more than one shirt now. I got a truck that actually runs a house with air conditioning, and Lisa's got a swimming pool in the backyard. The reason that I tell you it's her pool, because the day she said she wanted one, I said, you must understand it's your pool. It will never be my pool, so I will not clean it. I said, I got a lake and God cleans the lake. Now, she will t I've actually been out there a couple of times when she says, would you show me one more time how to hook it up? I said, I'll show you one more time how to hook the hoses up. I'll do a couple of swipes, but you're going to take over this baby. I said, because a swimming pool is a baby that never comes out of diapers. I cleaned them for years, and I thought, Lord, have mercy, too much work for, some, for you anyway, never mind. <laughs> so out of all the things God has done, you can take that down and put Scripture back up. I think they've seen enough. Plus, I had hair. Someone say, he had hair. That guy had some hair. So when you look for me in heaven, that's what I'm going to look like, except <laughs> the jeans. I already know what he's going to look like when he gets there. You can call and say, Pastor, hey, Harry.
How many of you, that's a little shocking, like, I don't think that's really him, is it? Oh, yeah, I weighed about 140, 50 pounds right there, and that's a long, that's a lot of fat ago. Truth's a person. Jesus said you'll know the truth. There's only one place you'll ever get truth, and that's in a Bible. Boy, if I could just get you. I, I'm, really, I'm really concerned about the generation that's coming up today. I don't know if they're, if they're even reading it. They're growing up in Christian homes and couldn't find John 3, 16. They, they, just, they just don't know the Bible at all. How are they going to have a good life if you don't know the Word of God? What are you going to do when you get in trouble? Jesus said you'll know the truth. Truth's not a scripture, it's a person. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. He told Herod, he says, he says I came to witness to the truth. And Herod looked at Jesus and says, what's truth? And he should have said, who's truth? He had truth in front of him and he's, and he's in hell today. You had an opportunity. You should have stopped what you were doing and said, you need to pray for me, buddy. He said, I find no fault in him. Amen. Amen. He didn't. But truth is a person. Um, John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that the Word of God is truth. Now, I had a lady that came here to church several, you know, a couple of years ago. And um, she said, um, Pastor Morgan, I just left another church, and the pastor there upset me. I said, okay, now I get an opportunity. (laughs) She said, I went forward for healing, and nothing happened, and I asked the pastor, what's wrong? And he said, you don't have any faith. She said, that made me mad, so I left. She said, what do you say? I said, you have no faith. I said, but I got another 30 minutes here with you before you leave. I said, let me ask you a question. Where do you go to church and what does your pastor preach? Does he preach on healing? She says, no. I said, honey, it's not your heart. It's your head. You're not hearing truth, so you have none. That's where the faith comes from. I'm not here to condemn you and tell you that you're a bad person. She's talking about she's sincere. She's sincerely ignorant. And I said, if you'll sit here in this church, if you want to walk in health, come back. And I'll teach it to you. She never came back. And I have a question. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And where did you learn what you think you know? Now, I'm going to throw another script. I'm going to throw something at you right now, and I'm not going to do it. If I got you up here right now and said, here's a Bible, I want you to show me what you believe and where it is in the Bible. Can you do it? Can you show me that you're a new creation? Can you show me you've been made righteous? Can you show me where the blood of Jesus has washed your sin? Can you show me that? Do you know it? Or, 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 or do you just know a little bit about it because someone said so? Yeah, it's facing to get gooder. 
All right, now I'm going to say some things here because I want you, we're going to go back in a minute to Nancy. Now, um, go to John 15. It's a couple couple of scriptures over. Verse 7. Did Jesus know what he's talking about? John 15, 7. Not 17. If you abide in me, he's talking a little bit more than just being born again. And my words abide in you. You can ask what you desire and it shall be done. Now listen, I'm going to read it to you in the Greek. If you, or if you will walk with the Lord and the word of God abides in you, you can ask anything and God will do it. That's a powerful piece of scripture. But the issue here is the qualifications. Do you, are you abiding in him, and is his word abiding in you? There's where you and I have to have a serious talk. Are you all okay? Say, I'm ready for some victory, Pastor. The word abide means to continue, to stay, to dwell, to live, and encamp. That's not a casual thing. And the word know means to be intimate with, to love it, to become one with it. Now... I know Lisa Morgan. I don't know your wife. And don't accuse me of it. (laughs) Now I have seen, I have seen you. I know your name, but I don't know you. Let me tell you who you know. Who you live with is who you know. Because when y'all come out and you put on your fine clothes, you have learned to look to look and talk to talk and walk to walk. But when you get home, that is not the same person we saw out at the restaurant a while ago. Take your coat off and, hey, woman, where is my lunch? Get it yourself. Your arm ain't broke, you ugly thing, you. Now we getting to know you a little bit better. Now, if you move in with somebody, it won't be long. You'll know everything you ever need to know about them. And if you really want to know them, get in a bed with them. Marry them. Because once you get married, honey, that's some knowing. There's only one woman in this room I know, and that's Lisa. The rest of y'all, I have met you. (laughs) The only thing that's ever going to set you free is truth. And the only truth that will set you free is what you know. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to show you what I mean by this. How many of you know that Adam met Eve? I mean, here's Eve, here's Adam. Hi, hi, Eve. Hi, Adam. How you doing, baby? All right. I want you to look at this. Adam knew Eve, and she got pregnant. That's some knowing. What is that called? Listen to me. It's called becoming one with. 
I'm preaching good. Until the Bible in your lap, you become one with it. You got, and I ain't talking about know about it. I'm talking about you know that. See, I know John 3, 16. I know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I know Acts 2, 4. I know Jude 1, 20. I know those things. I know I've been made the righteousness. I know I've been sleeping with that scripture. I've been intimate with that scripture. Me and that scripture have become one person. Are y'all out there? This, this, see, I'm starting to answer something because the casual, I heard it. Pastor, that scripture over there, you know, um, you preached it two weeks ago. That ain't helping you. I know that, but you, you just heard it. That woman, that, you don't know that woman. I'm in love. You don't know her. Man, I'm in love. No, you're not. You, no, you got to get to know her a little bit better before you start. I'm in love. You might think she's hot. You might think she's pretty. She might be the devil in red. You don't know nothing about that girl. You have to ask some questions. Where do you go to church? Well, show me your Bible, baby. You know, there was an old, what would Jesus do? You go on a date, take your Bible with you, and lay it on the seat between you and that boy. Say, so you climb over Jesus. You're, gonna come, you're coming over here. You're going to climb over Jesus. You might want to get to know her a little bit better. Lisa and I watch these movies every once in a while, and there's always some numb nut that, uh, that, that um, proposes to a girl in front of everybody. I bet that's stupid. Because she's going to go, yeah, and then she gets out and she goes, no, I'm marrying you. Don't you, and, then the, and they have the, the, the airplane flies by with, will you marry me, baby, and all that mess and you better know she's going to say yeah before you start going to all that much trouble. And you better know something about her. If you really want to know what she's like, go meet her mama. You want to know what he's like? You might want to meet his daddy. Because the apple don't fall far from the tree, y'all. It is like, you better find some stuff about this. And you really want to know him? Get him around his mama. If he don't respect her, you next. You watch the way a kid treats his parents. I'm going to tell you what your, what your marriage is going to be like. I'm not get off on all that, Lisa. I didn't have none of that in my nose. Adam knew Eve. The, the act of intercourse, it's not vulgarity is when God made Adam and Eve, he made Adam, Adam was made in the image of God. Adam was both masculine and feminine. How? I don't know. Don't ask me questions like that. I don't know nothing about that. But it says he took a side of, Eve, of Adam and made Eve. He took the feminine side out of him. When they have intercourse is when they come back and become one. That's how they make babies. Like God created people. He's just one person. But he can do it because he's masculine and feminine. But now Adam, he split him right down the middle. 
and said, you're not complete without a woman. It's Adam and Eve. It's not Adam and Steve. Adam and Steve can't make nothing but a bunch of mess. I won't go there. If you can't make a baby, it's not right. The reason you get married is so you don't back out after you have kids. Because after you get married, the next week you're going to realize you have married the wrong person. See, I don't want to do marriage counseling with you kids until after you've married. Then I want to see you in my office. I did not know. I know you didn't know. He didn't tell you nothing about that. But now you know him. Now you're going to have to use your faith. You should have done your homework a little better. Ask some questions. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because this is what this word means. This is what this word means. You shall know the truth. That word is an intimate word. It's not casual. There's nothing casual about knowing the Bible. Now, there's a lot of stuff that people do to get healthy. One of them is exercise. You need to exercise. And, and don't, don't make light of that. Lisa and I have bicycles, and I get out at night and ride the bicycle. When I go to the gym, I get on the treadmill, and I walk for a certain amount of time. There's, there's, your, your body must, you must sweat. You must uh, get your blood flowing. The blood cleans your body out. That's very important, okay? The next thing is what you eat. You know, type 2 diabetes is really nothing but food. You people say, I have it. Well, then find somebody and learn how to eat right. But there's a lot more than eating and exercising to health. And some of you have majored on food. Uh-uh. No, you don't major on food. You minor on the food. You major on the Word of God. Because most sickness and disease stems from sin, consciousness, and shame. And I don't care what apple you eat, it ain't getting rid of no shame. You understand this? Knowing who you are and made righteous is the greatest prerequisite to health there is in the planet. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand righteousness, I don't care what you eat. You're going to be sick. Because you're not dealing with the root of the problem. And you need to know that you're righteous. Not hear about it and read a book on it and think you got this down. I mean, it took me over a year of studying righteousness before I even began to believe it. Every time my Bible would say I've been made righteous, my soul would kick it out because I knew what I was like. I had a hard time believing that scripture. I had to eat it and eat it and chew it and chew it before one day I started going, wait a minute. It's because of the blood and it's because of I'm a spirit and I'm, and I'm thinking because I'm a flesh and a soul and I started to get some light. But when I started knowing what that meant, that scripture set me free from sin consciousness. And I went, Woo, glory be to God, Jesus did it all. That's when freedom began. And that was years after I got saved. And get that just because I went to church. 
I didn't get that. Kenneth Copeland's the first one ever started preaching righteousness. And I heard, I didn't believe anything he said for a year. And I listened every day. And I read it every day. And I went, ah, I had a time with it. I had a man in this church not too long ago. I gave him a book on righteousness. He went and asked another preacher and left the church. Preacher told him, he says, oh, anybody tell you you've been made righteous as a bunch of heathen. You get out of that place. And this good man, this preacher talked him out of, there's none righteous, no, not one. And that preacher, dumb as a rock. And he is, he don't know no better. And listen, this goes on all the time. You don't know something because someone quoted a scripture to you. I believe in healing. Really? You do? Quote Isaiah 53 to me verbatim. Quote it. Because if you can't quote it, you don't know it. You ain't intimate with it. Well, I'm doing good. Look at Matthew 1.25. Are you all okay? I'm trying to get everybody back on the word of God Drawing life out of the Word of God, you, you learn to masticate the Bible, and it will work for you. Amen. All right, I'm going I'm to read something to you in a minute. Now, this is talking about Jesus. And he did not know her. Joseph didn't know Mary until she brought forth her firstborn son, called him Jesus. What does he mean he didn't know Mary? Sure, he knew Mary. No, he didn't know her. He had never slept with He had never had intimacy with Mary until after Jesus was born. He didn't know her. What do you know? What do you know? What do you think you know? You all ready? Okay, we're going to get a little deep here. I'm going to read something to you. Everything I know today, and and, and there's a lot I don't know. I really tell y'all, there's a lot I don't know. Has all been born out of me trying to figure out how to get free in an area. Do y'all understand that? See, when I got saved, I thought I was a forgiven sinner. And something inside me kept, I just kept thinking, no, that can't be true. I can't live my life thinking that if I do something wrong, I die, I'm going to go to hell. But that's what I believed. And I got my Bible out, and I read it, and I studied it until I learned that's not true. The devil lied to me, and he had me bound. I'm a good man, but he had me bound because I didn't know the truth about that. And that was that day the Lord said, people don't go to hell for sinning. I said, "Woo, hallelujah. And I started reading John 3, 16. And when I read that, I went, oh, my God, I'm a new creation. I'm a new species. I'm alive with a, I'm not a sinner. I'm a Christian. And I got so free reading that scripture. But I read, I read scriptures for two or three weeks, maybe a month, before me and the Holy Ghost. And he took me and showed me that. And I went, whoa, I am free now, baby. But that was just one freedom. I had all kinds of stuff that had me bound up. And I have been sti- I'm still working on some stuff. And I'm not going to tell you what they are, you old gossiping thing. I know I'm going to tell you all. How many of y'all are working on some? Amen. Amen. All of us, we should be. Now listen to this. This is out of the authority of the believer, John A. McCain. It is a most vital truth of the divine working 
that the word of God is the pattern by which the ministry of the church is framed. The glory of the body of Christ is the fact that its members are living members, each with a personal will. The Holy Spirit comes into these individual members in order to bring them into unity with the will and purposes of the head of the church. This is not done through inward impulse alone. Inward impulse inaugurates obedience toward the head. But the renewed mind cannot be fully instructed except through the word. Only, I'm going to tell you what he just said because I know y'all going, I don't understand anything you just read. The only way that God can get Crystal to do what he wants her to do is for her to know the scriptures. In other words, prompting her is not enough. She needs to have, he needs to teach her certain things in the word so that when he prompts her, she obeys. So the head of the church is totally dependent on the church knowing what the Bible says. This is powerful. This is really powerful. And this is, this is, I'm getting kind of heavy with y'all today. This is like Wednesday night stuff. Is that all right? All right. All right. Consequently, it is only as the word is carefully meditated upon, understood and obeyed, that the head of the church has freedom of action through its members. Now, think about Jesus walking into a church and saying, everybody, let's pray in the spirit. And everybody's going, what's that? How's he going to get them to do it? And they don't even know what it is. Now, we're going to tell this. Let me tell you a story about Nancy real quick. The night that we were in the Bible study, the Holy Ghost came on me and said, pray and pray now. I knew what he meant in the spirit. If you've never been around someone interceding, it'll freak you out the first time you see it. Because the word intercession means taking the place of another. I began to cry, I am lost. I could feel what Nancy felt. Nancy and I, by the Holy Spirit, became one person. And I was doing her praying for her though she's in hell. Now, if you don't know what I just said, God can never use you that way. Y'all seeing this? This is why, I don't know why the Lord took them. Because he couldn't find anybody to pray. Because they don't know enough about it to obey him. Am I doing good? Y'all are getting this. And so today, Satan's number one job in your life is to get you to close the book and get you distracted. Though you're good people, you're dumb as a rock. I'm not saying that to be bad. I'm just saying. And when you get in trouble, you don't have enough knowledge in you for God to help you. Does this help you? So your job, God will give you grace. There's a grace period where God goes, get in the Bible, get in the Word, and let's start, let's start learning what I had to say about that. Okay, now listen to this, listen to this. 
Consequently, it is only as the word is carefully meditated on, understood and obeyed, the head has freedom of action through its members. How little the average member feeds with careful mastication upon the word. What does he mean by masticating the word? You're going to chew it up. You're going to tear it up. Now, that means that there's times you're just going to read it, and you're going to read it, and then you're going to read it, and you're going to reread it, and then you're going to go, hey, a minute, hold on a minute. The Holy Ghost is showing me something about that right there. You're eating it, and you're chewing it, and you're looking at it, and then you're thinking about it. You know, the, the lady that, uh, what's her name, Lily B. Yeomans, would take people dying of tuberculosis. And they had a healing house, and they had to have been given up by medical science because she was not allowed to take them in because she had no, no license any longer to practice medicine. And she would put them in a bed. They're dying. They're, di- they're going to die. So the, the medical science, well, they're going to die. We can't do anything to take them up. Stick them in a bed. She would go up and read healing scriptures to them all morning, all afternoon, and all night. Over and over and over and over and over. And one lady, she tells a story. She says, now, what do you think? She goes, well, I don't know because I'm still sick. She goes, okay, well, in the morning. She said, now, tonight I want you to quote. I want you to quote, second, you know, um, uh, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. Tuberculosis is under the curse of the law. So, therefore, Christ redeemed me from tuberculosis. So she says, I want you to say that a thousand times tonight. So the next morning she'd wake up and she said, did you do it? She goes, yeah, I did it, but I don't feel nothing. I mean, I'm still got tuberculosis. She says, that's all right. She'd get up there with her Bible again the next day, the next day, and read healing scriptures to her from the Bible. The Word of God's alive, y'all. It's alive. The Word is living. It has the power to produce after its own kind. Now, she knows this in her head, but she don't know this in her heart. She's not intimate with that yet. Third or fourth day, they, they, they said they got up and they heard her upstairs walking around confessing the word of God. And all of a sudden, she started screaming, Woo! Oh, glory to God. I'm redeemed from the curse. Now, tuberculosis has no authority over me in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And they could hear her. She's dancing up there in that room. She's, Woo! I'm redeemed by God. I don't have this anymore. I don't have this anymore. I don't have this anymore. And she came downstairs and said, I'm healed of tuberculosis. And the lady said, we told you that a week ago. What happened to her? She masticated that scripture. She fed on that scripture. She got that scripture down on the inside of her heart. And the moment she did, the power of God hit her and she was healed. Are y'all okay? Nancy said this. She asked the Lord, why is it taking so long for Brooke? He said, because your faith is growing slowly. But it's growing. She didn't give up. She just said, I'm believing God. I'll learn something new. I get on the word. I'm growing. And God met her at every point of her faith, but she needed to keep growing in faith. I hope y'all are getting this. Don't get in condemnation 
that you're not completely free and, and everything isn't perfect in your life? Get, oh, come on. It isn't perfect in mine. I still got some scriptures right now. I'm reading and rereading. I've been on the blood of Jesus for a month. I'm learning some stuff about the blood that washes away all sin and all trace. He forgives your iniquity, heals your diseases, redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and I shall walk and not faint. I shall run and not be weary. You say, are you running yet? No, but I'm walking. You just keep hanging around because I'm getting the run scripture down on the inside of me. See, I'm running on the inside. My outside ain't running yet. But I've already got masticating a scripture to the place where I'm already, I ain't old. Don't call me old. You'll make me mad. I am not, I mean, I'm just not. Now, the word says, it says I run. Now, listen, if, if, if Caleb can take a mountain at 81 years of age, I'm only 64. I ain't dead. I ain't old. And I'm still running in the name of Jesus. Now, this victory hadn't come real easy. I wish I could tell you I prayed yesterday and it all happened to me. But it didn't, it just didn't, it just didn't do it. But I can remember when I couldn't climb steps. I remember when I couldn't swim the length of the pool. And I remember diving into what's well, not in Rock Springs, what's the springs down there? Wakiva. That's, that's where I go swimming now. I dive in, swim all the way to the bridge, and swim back. Oh, yeah. I'm, t- I'm cool. <laughs> now, you understand, I- I'm trying to help us. I would love to tell you I got my victory in a day. I didn't get it in a day. But I but I'm gonna tell you something. Every time I get a little victory, I celebrate. Yeah. I go home and go, Lisa, whoo, hallelujah. And Lisa celebrates with me. I make her. <laughs> you know what I do for celebration? I have one piece of dark chocolate. Let's have some dark chocolate. I was a good boy today. Amen. All right. Look at this, Daniel eleven thirty two. Are y'all ready for one more? Come on, y'all. Have to help me out. I mean, you, you, we got one person over here hollering amen, and the rest of y'all just looking at me like. I, 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 I. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he, the Antichrist, will corrupt with flattery. I don't know how in the world he's going to do this since the church is going to be gone. But anyway. But the people who know their God. What about their God? We ain't talking about no casual sitting in church on Sunday morning. We're talking about a group of people who know God. That means there's a group of people on the planet that are intimate with God, the Holy Ghost. They know God. You say, you know God? Oh, I know God. I, you know, somebody said, yeah, who can tell what God will do? And I always stand up and go, I can. And I always make everybody in the room mad. I said, well, that's not what that scripture means. It says, who can know the mind? Who can know, tell what God will do? And then the next one says, but we have the mind of Christ. You ought to always know what he will do. 
He's got a book there telling you what he'll do. Read it. That was a dumb song. So I sang it different. I can tell what God will do because he said in the word what he'd do for you. No singing, no unbelief song. They that know God will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and they will carry out great exploits. Now, you start doing exploits, you need to know what you're doing. Let's go back to Nancy for a minute. The night that I walked over to the house and Brooke spit in my face, and uh, I, I, I grabbed her by the head and pulled her up out of her little walkie thing. I cast the devil out of her. I said, you found devil from hell, you come out of her in the name of Jesus. And then I took her and kissed her on the sweet little forehead, took, gave her to Nancy to bandage up her mouth. And I left the house. And Nancy called me and said, Daryl, it didn't work. Oh, I thought it did. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry, Nancy. We have to pray all night. No, I didn't. What did I say? That's right. Faith is what? Now faith, say is, is. They will cast out devils, right? A double-minded man's unstable in all his what? Ways. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Come on, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea, and you shall not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say, you will have what you say. You need to masticate that scripture. You need to talk to some stuff. So I said, Nancy, that's a lie. That devil's gone in Jesus' name. Shut up. And I hung up. That old devil going to tell me he didn't come out. That's a lie, you old lying devil. I said. Are y'all out there? Now listen, God, God had some mercy on Nancy. She didn't know any better. But that didn't happen because I hoped it would happen. It happened because I know something. I know some stuff. Not the first devil I ever cast out of somebody. Now listen to me. Then Nancy comes in. I'm telling her story before she gets here. And I think Betty will remember this, maybe Melanie and maybe, maybe some other people. She was in church on a Wednesday night, and the Holy Ghost said, you get her up here, and you teach her to pray. And I drug her out and drug her up in the front of church, and she said I embarrassed her. But I'm sorry. I don't think she's worried about it now, do you? No. But I'm going to teach you something, girl. And I got her by the hand, and I said, you walk with me. And, and, and I said, great is the peace of my children. They're taught of the Lord. Nancy's going, and I said, shut up and say what I said. <laughs> great is the peace of my children. They're taught of the Lord. The prayers of a righteous woman avails much, and I am that righteous woman. I mean, I got her up here, and we're walking back, praying in the Holy Ghost, quoting scriptures for 15 minutes. And I said, now, when you get home, this is what you're going to do. Do you understand me? And I said, this is what you're going to do next week and next month and next year. Do you understand me? She goes, yes. I said, now, you go sit down. Oh, you mean. Am I? Oh, no. Oh, no, I saved her life. She did it. The doctor wanted to put Daniel on, on uh, what's that drug when you have ADHD and Ritalin? She threw that in the trash and he ain't no, no riddling. She just needs a spanking. Let me tell you something. If you'll spank them and get them off of sugar, you won't have no more trouble. One more time. 
If you're feeding your kids cereal in the morning, repent. You're going you're gonna to stuff your kid full of white flour and sugar and send them to school to learn. Shame on you in the name of Jesus. You repent now. You get in an altar and promise God you'll never do that again to a child. Pop-Tarts. Don't you ever buy another Pop-Tart the longest day you live on this planet? You go home and you get you some eggs and you get some fruit and you get some food. And you stuff that kid full of food. And if you want orange juice, squeeze it. After they've killed it, well, you want to pour orange stuff that's dead down in them. It just makes them go to the bathroom. That's all it does. Well, I'm going to come over here for a minute. You're not doing very good. Get you some grapefruits and put them in the refrigerator, get them cold, and squeeze them babies and then pour it down their little throat and ship them off to school. And you might want to pack them a brown bag lunch if you want to have a brain when they get home. And you'll cure ADHD and all that other mess. Come on, some of y'all need to help me out a little bit. I mean, and then if they sass you, there's a book called Dare to Discipline by James Dobson. Don't take my word for it. Just read it yourself. You tear it up and they'll learn things like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. They'll all kind of stuff. Really cool. Really, really neat book to make. A kid don't need prayer. Pray for my baby. Your baby don't need no prayer. You need prayer. That's true. Oh, how do we get off on all of this? I don't know how we got off on all this stuff. <laughs> Go to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to try to close. Speaking of eating, now I'm not suggesting you do what I'm fixing to tell you to do, and I'm just going to tell you I do it, but I don't do it a lot. 4 4, Jesus is talking to the devil. You need to talk to the devil. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Have you ever made bread? I ain't talking about make it to the store. I'm going to explain something to you about bread that maybe you don't know anything about. First of all, you got to get really good wheat seeds. People say you can't find them anymore. I found some. It's expensive, but you can find it. And they're hard as little pieces of oak. You do not want to reach in and grab wheat seeds and try to eat them. That's, they're just going to come out the way they went in. They are not, that just ain't happening. So you're going to have to get you a little grinder, and you're going to have to masticate the wheat seed. And it's made out of two pieces of granite, and the next time I buy one, it will be electric. It took me 45 minutes to make five cups of wheat and grind it up. It's just, it just don't. It just makes the prettiest little powder you ever saw. Anyway, after you grind it all up and you have a big giant bowl of this powder laying there, now it's only good for 72 hours. It would last forever before that, but now you have a window. So you pour hot water in it and you put olive oil in it and you put honey in it and then you put some, um, you put some, um, what's that stuff makes it rise? Um, yeast in it. 
And then you start, you start working it. And, and first it's all tacky. You put a little bit more wheat. And after a while you have a nice ball that looks like a large softball. And then you stuff it in a, in a bowl and throw it a cover over it. And you come back and you have a soccer ball. It went, woo. Well, now you have to punch it. Just think of someone you made you mad last week and take it out on the dough. And <laughs> knock it back down, split it in half, put it in two little pans. And it's only about a little piece, about that long and about that big around. Ain't much in there. You just a little bit thing. Cover the pans up. Come back about an hour later, and the whole thing is grown up and swelling up in the whole pan. Now throw it, put it on 350 and slide it in the oven for 35 minutes. Then when it comes out and you cut it and you put some butter on it. And it soaks all down through. But you know, that's a, how many of you know that's a process? The wheat is alive, but it does you no good till you masticate it. Even though it's masticated, it does no good until you need it. Folks, the, the, the word, that Bible in your lap is worthless until you've learned to masticate that thing. You've got to take it out and you've got to work that scripture until you get it to where you can do something with it. Then you're going to slide it in and bake it. Then when it comes out, you don't have long to eat it. That's why it says, give me today my daily bread. Because God knew you, you, today's bread is no good. So that means yesterday's scripture it's gone, baby. It's gone. It ain't doing you any good. I heard that last week. I know. You don't know squat today. You got to make some more bread. That's why Jesus made the statement because in his day, the women got up and made bread every single day if you wanted bread. That means you got to get your Bible out and get in the Word of God. I'm doing pretty good. All right. And I got one more scripture for you. Say, my best days are ahead. Go to Psalm 1, verse 2. Psalm 1, verse 2, and we'll read the rest of it. Does everybody understand how to get victory now? Every scripture has the ability to reproduce after itself. Every scripture can work in you. If you want freedom, find the freedom scripture, and then you start meditating on that until that becomes a part of you. He hath delivered me from all of the work of the enemy. I'm not trying to get delivered. I have been delivered. I was delivered. I am delivered. And so when Satan comes to me and says, you need deliverance, I go, you lying devil from hell. I don't need no deliverance. In the name of Jesus, I am. And I may feel like I need deliverance. I may look like I need deliverance. But the word of God I've been eating says I have already been delivered. Now I'm going to add some faith, which is going to be some olive oil and a little water to this thing. And I'm going to mash it up real good. And I'm fixing to make myself a deliverance. Amen. Okay, you know. Are y'all okay? Y'all have to come back. I'm not done. Look at this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates Sunday morning, and every once in a while gets a promise box scripture. What? Meditate day and what? Day and night. Let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible. Oh, I love you. Look at this. Look at this girl. Highlighters in the Bible. You are are the star. You are awesome. Look at this. Now this, someone needs to marry this girl. All right, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. How old are you? How old are you? 19. Look at this girl. 
do, do you think she's going to make it? You better believe she's going to make it. She, this Bible is tore up. She has masticated this. You have mistreated this book. I'm going to skip over you because you're still working. Thank you. Look at this. Notes. Look at this book. She's writing down what I'm saying. Is she, is she correct? Yeah. Oh, y'all, get, y'all get this? I'm going to close with this one statement. You don't have a problem right now. You cannot fix it. I don't care what it is. All you need to do is get your Bible out and find the answer. And, you, and, and I mean get you some pencils and pen. And I mean day in and day out. And we're going to get in here one Sunday morning. We're going to talk about confessing the word. We're not confessing it trying to talk God into the notion of doing it. Confessing is not for God. He already knows it. It's for you. And when you mutter that scripture, when you start putting that word of God in you, you, be, you become. Listen, I am what I eat. I am Isaiah 53. I, I am healed. I am. See, I can't. Me and Isaiah 53 are sleeping together. Come here, baby. Oh, I love you so much. Are y'all getting this? And we are making a healthy man. Well, you could use a little Isaiah 53. I'm teasing it. Did this help y'all any? Can I get y'all to make a confession? Say the word of God is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll divide between the good and the bad. My Bible is my food. Everything in it has the ability to reproduce itself inside of me. From this day forward, I'm going to know truth. I'm going to know the truth and I will be free and I'll never be bound again. Holy Ghost, show me the truth that I need to start meditating on because I refuse to stay the way I am in Jesus' name. Now, this is going to take a little work on your part. Are you all okay with that? This needs to be preached in every church in this nation right now because we walked away from this trying to fix America. You're not fixing America without this book. You're not going to fix your marriage or your home without it. Everybody say, I still love you, Pastor. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.